is Ronaldo. Oh, my goodness. You don't save those. Out of this world. Messi. 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 From the international stage to right here at home, this is FUVFC, talking all things soccer on WFUV Sports. Well, 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 we have reached the end of the European football calendar, and that means it is time for another episode of FUVFC. It's my first time hosting. I'm James Burley. Alongside me, as usual, are my friends Michael Hernandez and Keenan Troy. Michael, how are we doing, man? Uh, I'm not going to lie. I've been better. Um, you know, uh, I'm just happy that the season's over. So I get a couple of weeks to, you know, relax, not have to wake up at like 8 a.m. on Sundays. And yeah, I'm just happy to be on the show. F1, oh, what'd you say, Keenan? I said, what about F1? You're still going to have to wake up early. That is true. That is true. I was actually up on Sunday, uh, the day I uh, watched the Monaco race. Yeah. For myself, yeah. James, I'm, I'm good. Uh, I was traveling all last week, family graduation. So. I didn't get to catch the uh, Champions League final until the 75th minute when it was already 1-0 to Real Madrid. We were in New Hampshire, of all places, because um, my brother graduated school in Maine, and there's a whole song and dance involved with that. But I was in some dingy bar in New Hampshire, which I didn't know is very similar to Indiana in the sense that there's a whole not, there's not a whole lot going on. But asked him to turn it on and watched Liverpool fail to capture the European Cup, which is always upsetting, but, you know, credit to Real Madrid, and I know we're going to get into that in a second, but other than that, I've been good. Summer vacation, talked about it before the show. Now it's time to dial into the MLS. Might get to that later as well, so I'm really excited for this episode. I was off last week. Happy to be back. Yeah, well, you mentioned it. We got not a whole lot of stuff on the docket today because of the European football calendar ending. Um, we have the international break coming up upon us and longtime listeners of the podcast will know how much I love the international break specifically for the U S men's national team. They have a big window coming up for matches slated over the next week for them. Um, Major league soccer in full swing, both New York clubs performing very well. New York city FC, probably the hottest team in major league soccer at the moment. Um, I don't love having to say that on the air, but it is true. And yeah, We've got two Liverpool fans on the call, so let's address the elephant in the room. This season could have been the quadruple, but it wasn't. And Real Madrid putting the last final nail in that coffin, picking up their 14th European Cup this past Saturday. Liverpool falling short. I don't want to say it was a collapse, guys, because I know that would hurt your feelings. And it's also not very true. In the Prem, they fell short to City and... I have to say most people probably expected that, um, even with the one-point gap going into the end of the season. But in this Champions League final, I think they came in as the favorite, and I think they showed that by being the better team throughout the majority of the match. They had 24 shots to Real Madrid's four, and they had 54% of the possession, 88% pass accuracy, 
six corners to Royals two. They were probably the better team. But I think the difference maker in that match specifically, let's I'm not let's avoid talking about Liverpool season as a whole, because I know we've done that in prior weeks. Let's just talk about this match alone as it is. Real Madrid really got a lot of help from their goalkeeper, Thibaut Courtois. Don't you think, Michael? Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, he was the man of the match with, what, nine or ten saves? And, you know, that was, you know, he's the reason that that, that they're lifting their 14th title. Um, sorry, uh, the 14th uh, Champions League. Because I remember in the first half, uh, Mane hit this wonderful – it was it was so, like, you know, Courtois just got his hand to it. Like, there were so many ifs, you know. Um and yeah, I mean, obviously, it's frustrating when you when you uh, when you say the stats out loud. Twenty four shots to just four, and out of those four from Madrid, only two were on target, if I'm not mistaken. So you know, it, it's it, it's tough uh, uh, to you know see you know all of that mean nothing because you know it's like it, it doesn't matter how many shots you have if if you don't score, you know it it means absolutely nothing. Um, I mean, yeah, overall, you know, Liverpool had great play, um, you know, um, and, and and we're just a bit unlucky. Um, you know, it, it, it could have been 2-0 because uh, of that Benzema uh, goal that was chalked off for offside. To be honest, I'm not – I'm still quite not sure um, if it was or wasn't. I was kind of you – know, I, I was confused with the rule. But, like, I, I understand the rule, like, what like what they were saying. But it was, you know, it, it deflected off of Fabinho. So, but, I mean, I, I, either way, you know, uh, Madrid, you know, if, if you take a look at their Champions League season, you know, it, it wasn't a walk in the park. All of them were comebacks. PSG, Chelsea, Man City, uh, and you know that that's why they're the the kings of the competition. They've won it now fourteen times, and I I forget the amount of players, but I think nine of them have won it five times, like leveling Ronaldo's record because it's like you know that is just insane. The fact that that Real team has won it five times in the past eight years, if I'm doing my math right, you know that that just shows you how big Real is and uh, you know even though that Liverpool you know were seen as maybe slightly favorites you know at the end of the day it's Real Madrid you you know they're in the Champions League for a reason and and that's what they do yeah um jumping off that Michael I think we can all agree that going into this match maybe Liverpool marches the favorites but Real Madrid proved throughout this Champions League season as Michael just emphasized They've had the hardest road, harder road and definitely probably the hardest road we've seen to a final in a long time, you know, taking down champion of Europe last year's Champions League winner and then champions of France along the way. All three of those teams they beat to reach a final were heavily favored to go on and win the Champions League. So it was only fitting that they get it done another time against a team that on paper everyone had ruled as superior and, you know, more likely to hoist the cup. I think, you know, in a game where you keep Benzema relatively quiet, obviously that goal, not goal, he had some close chances early in that second half as well. But for a Real Madrid team, I think, you know, assuming that I was in that locker room with Carlo Ancelotti at the, at the break, he is probably just saying we've got him right where we want him. Yeah, they've been the better team. Courtois is playing out of his mind. You know, you saw Messi – comment in an interview that you know he might as well be considered for the Ballon d'Or just because of how phenomenal his play was throughout both domestic and European competitions and I think for Real Madrid I know we can get to Liverpool in a minute because I'm sure Mike you've got plenty of stuff to say just as much as I do especially regarding where the club's moving forward we see Sadio Mane may be on the move you know Divock Origi's gone which might say is a minimal loss but 
I really thought that after the Vinicius goal, Liverpool started scrambling far too early. Um, you know, I touched on it at the beginning. I didn't get to watch, so I just watched the highlights. So if you guys feel that I'm wrong and, you know, watching every minute of every second of every, you know, possession, didn't feel the same. But there's always this question for me of, you know, I saw on my phone that Liverpool went down and then, you know, reading match notes, watching the highlights. I always felt that as soon as Liverpool get down in a match, especially, you know, you watch across the course of the season, even if we want to talk about that Wolves game, you know, it takes them a while to wake up. And they're not a team that responds super quickly. You know, they're going to scramble a little bit, hope for some inspiration up top and go from there. So I think after that first goal by Vinicius, you saw Liverpool kind of scramble, start throwing everything, including the kitchen sink at Courtois. And he was just not letting anything pass. And so it's one of those matches where nothing seems to go your way in terms of going to goal. But all the credit is to Real Madrid, hardest way to the final and, you know, refusing to be beaten. And Michael, you touched on it. When you've got that experience of five got you know, seven guys winning five European Cups, a midfield that has just been dominant throughout what, 2010 till present, a 12-year run, you want to say, that experience pays dividends in terms of keeping composure in a first half that you're being out-possessed and out-mustered on the attacking front. So credit to those guys that have won five with that club. And, you know, Real Madrid, there were questions after Ronaldo left about, you know, the durability of this club. And Ancelotti's proven that with the guys that he has, he can take down any team that comes his way. Well, you mentioned some players have won five Champions Leagues. Well, their manager has now gotten his fourth. That leads all managers ever to win. He's the only one to ever win four Champions League titles. That's Carlo Ancelotti of Real Madrid. And yeah, I think Keenan, even though you didn't watch the whole match live, I think you hit the nail on the head in that Liverpool, when they conceded, it was kind of like they did start scrambling. I think scrambling is the right word. Um, not that they, you know, had no direction whatsoever. They still had to force Thibaut Courtois into a number of really, really difficult uh, and uh, spectacular saves. But overall, um, I think that's been the story of Liverpool season as of late um, in that they've had, you know, something to go up against and just couldn't figure it out at the last minute. But that's not to say that they have nothing to look forward to in the future. Just the day after losing in the Champions League, they threw a parade for their FA Cup. And uh, you're, you're shaking your head, Keenan? I just think, yeah, you want to acknowledge the supporters and yeah, you want to celebrate the FA Cup and the Carabao Cup and a phenomenal domestic and European season. But I don't know. I, I felt it was, I, I don't know if I want to say like improper, but it just feels on the back of a Champions League loss, maybe push that back a couple days so, you know, what what it, I just feel like what message is that sending that you're willing to not willing but you're happy to throw a parade celebrating two cups, which were well won but you know you lose out on the Premier League you lose out on the Champions League you settle for two domestic cups and I don't know I I just saw that saw the clips and you know happy it went on but I feel like the supporters there even their excitement for those two cups. Those aren't the two cups you want at the end of the day. You would trade that double for either a Premier League trophy or a Champions League trophy any day of the week, in my opinion. Uh, I, I definitely agree with that. But I think the message that it does send from the supporters is that they were very proud of the team that they put in front of them, and then they're always going to continue to support the club. And as someone who 
hates that club, I have a tremendous respect for Jurgen Klopp because what I have to agree with what he said. He said no other club in the world would have lost the Champions League final and turned out the support they did the day after for that parade. Uh, as, as meaningless as that parade may have been, Keenan, in your eyes, uh, and I kind of have to agree, I don't think you throw a parade when you're Liverpool for winning the Carabao Cup, but for both the FA Cup and the Carabao Cup, I suppose, you can do that. I think I thought the wave of support was impressive and something to be excited about for Liverpool fans. And Michael, as a Liverpool fan yourself, did you did you get that interpretation or more of Keenan's? I mean, you know, on one hand, it's like, you know, why would you have it the day after? You know, I completely agree. If, <laughs> if you're still going to have one, you know, maybe have it a couple of days later because to have it less than 24 hours after you lost the Champions League, it, it just doesn't feel right. But uh, on the other hand, you know, if you take a look at the season that that Liverpool had, yeah, you know, we only won the Carabao and the FA Cup. But the fact that we were still in the quadruple talk up until the final match day, you know, that that's the furthest any bit of this ha- has ever gone. Um, and, y- you know, like, obviously, you know, it, it wasn't the perfect end to, uh, to the season, obviously. Um, but, yeah, you know, like, th- the fact that, you know, um, the fans were out there in full support, it, it just shows that, you know, you know, ne- you know, this year, you know, we it had its its ups and downs, but next year you know they're going to come back stronger. Um, but yeah, I mean honestly, it's like I I was still kind of confused. But I think I I heard something about like because if I'm not mistaken, they never had a 2020 Premier League parade because that was during COVID. So I think I I think I saw something about like oh yeah, this is also I, I think it was Milner who who said something um, about like oh yeah, you know obviously this is for this year, but also you know because we never had a parade. Um, back when back when they won the league but yeah i mean i don't know how to how to feel about that like if it was a couple of days later i'd feel better but you know what's done is done and uh you know all, all everyone can do is is look towards the uh 2022 2023 year what's Michael, done is in fact done oh, keenan go ahead sorry to cut you off james um just one final note mike you know when liverpool beat wolves Back in 2019 on the final day, losing out a point on a point again to City. It was another kind of parallel to this game against Villa. They went down 1-0 against Brighton. I remember watching that Shane Dunk had a header off the corner, and I'm like, oh, my God, is this going to happen? And then City proceeded to trounce them 4-1. to one. Um, Obviously, the Villa game was closer, but remember Jurgen Klopp saying, we will go again. But I think there's questions for me, and you know, I don't want to turn this into a straight Liverpool podcast. Obviously, that would ostracize. James is a United supporter and he's in six. That's fine. Um, But I think there's questions. We've heard of Mane on the move. You know, you lose someone like Divock Origi, whose Premier League contributions are few and far between. Always good for a late goal, but he's a, you know, a cup striker. And when you win two domestic cups, so much of that weight is carried by guys like Nino, guys like Origi, guys like Naby Keita, James Milner, guys that, struggle to find themselves in, you know, big Premier League starting 11s. Milner kind of carried some of that weight at the end of the season with, uh, especially on that last day with Thiago getting injured and, you know, he can slot in that right bag. But I think it's going to be a long off season for Liverpool when and if they lose Mane, losing Origi. They're definitely going to need to retool at the front because it seems that Bobby Firmino days of being a starting number nine are done. And I think there's questions because, you know, as good as, Sala, Jota, and Diaz are as a front three going forward. I think you need to find a number nine somewhere out there on the margins. We've seen Holland move, who was obviously the marquee guy with 
Mbappe saying he talked to Klopp, but electing to stay at PSG and he's going to get absolutely paid at 20 through 2025. And the crazy thing with that is he's only going to be like 24 in 2025. So he's going to be a millionaire 10 times over in 2025, still in his prime, even probably even before his prime. So that's a whole different conversation that we can address in 2025 if for some reason Michael and I stick around at Fordham for that long. But I think there's a lot of questions for Jurgen Klopp and you know the Liverpool club to figure out this summer as to how they're going to maintain that consistency. Showed. Because I think the biggest thing about failing at the quadruple is with the ability of Pep to retool, and we know how you know competitive Europe is at the club level, I, I don't know if we're going to see this dominant of a run from Liverpool in the next couple of years until they, unless they bring in, you know, a couple big splash signings this summer. Yeah. I mean, I, I completely agree. I, I remember uh, saying this uh, on a, on a few episodes ago, if there was a season to win the quadruple or to win the prem, it would be this year because I think this was when, uh, when it was announced that Holland was, was going to city because now, you know, city were lacking, I guess the true number nine, and now they have one of the best forwards in the game. Uh, so I, it, it is going to be hard. But then again, you know, we've seen, you know, uh, a Klopp in Liverpool pushed up against the wall. And, you know, we've seen them uh, get the job done. So, you know, it, it's going to be interesting. Um, I know that we're bringing in uh, a Carvalho from Fulham. But, you know, you, you really can't compare him to Holland, you know. But, um, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's just going to be an interesting offseason to see how Klopp um, reorganizes. Because I think... Uh, they're only going to let go of Mane if they can bring in a suitable replacement. Like, if, if they don't have anyone planned, then I then I think they're going to hold on to him uh, for the next year. But, I mean, yeah, it, it's just going to be, you know, um, an, an offseason, and then um, and we'll see what happens. We, we've got all summer to speculate uh, what's going to happen with a lot of European clubs and a lot of prominent players. Um, but before we get to the international and domestic side of things, I have one final question about European clubs, who is going to win the Ballon d'Or? Of course, the award is not Absolutely. awarded until October. Uh, for my money, I think it's Benzema, and I have a feeling you two will agree, and this won't be a long conversation. Of course. I mean, scoring, I forget how many goals, 15, I think, in the Champions League? In the Champions League, yes. You know, the, the, the fact that he scored back-to-back hat-tricks, you know, if, if he doesn't win it this year, I will be shocked because – you know, he's, I, I don't know his goals and assists um, for the season, but it's, I, I want to say it's like pretty close to the amount of games that he started. Um, so, you know, an absolute, you know, amazing season. Uh, and if he doesn't win it, I will be shocked. Yeah, I mean, I agree, James, Mike, it should be Benzema. We saw the Lewandowski screw job a couple of years ago. And, you know, that's has a bitter taste in all soccer fans i think you know outside of Bayern, outside of polish fans as the best soccer player in the world for that year and not receiving that award i think they get it right it should be benzema it ought to be benzema so we'll find out in october but as james and michael you both emphasized he was phenomenal for real madrid both domestically but especially in the champions league literally willing them to victory over chelsea and manchester city so and psg yeah uh, so i mean if it's not him, then I really don't know what they merit that award based on, but it should be Ben. <laughs> 15 uh, thing, James. Go ahead. Sorry. I, I, you know, I, uh, it's like Keenan said, don't want to make this into a Liverpool podcast, but I have to ask this, Keenan. Rate the season one out of 10 right now. <clears throat> I mean, you'd probably say eight. 
I would go with seven. Nonetheless, James, get us back on course. Yeah. I'm, I'm talking about Liverpool. I'm putting I seven. I think it's seven out of ten, coming one goal short of a Champions League, uh, a Champions League win, one point short of a Premier League win, and then two other domestic cup trophies. And that's a seven out of ten. I think that just speaks to the ambition of the club. But yeah, Karim Benzema, 27 La Liga goals, 15 Champions League goals. I think for my money, I'll, Salah had a shot, but once. Real won the Champions League. I think it was done and dusted. Exactly. It doesn't win the Ballon d'Or. I don't know what to believe anymore. But now we have the international break to talk about. And consider me excited because the U.S. men's national team are back in action tomorrow night against Morocco. A really good test um, going into the World Cup. Uh, Morocco doesn't play incredibly similarly to any of the teams that they're going to face at that World Cup. A lot of people want to draw the parallels between Iran, but those two teams are very, very different. They play Uruguay, the U.S. on Sunday, and then in the CONCACAF Nations League the following week on Friday and Tuesday, they play Grenada and then El Salvador, their old foe from World Cup qualifying. The roster dropped last week. To the chagrin of a lot of fans, there were some MLS names on there. Um, some local MLS player, Sean Johnson, New York City FC's goalkeeper, uh, replaced Zach Steffen for family reasons. Aaron Long of the New York Red Bulls. He's the captain of the New York Red Bulls. He was in the initial roster. And he's been getting a lot of scrutiny from players. Um, your favorite player, Keenan Paul Areola, is in the attacking core there, along with your second favorite player, Jordan Morris, Christian Roldan. And I'm missing one. No, that's every MLS player. Oh, and Matt Turner, technically, he's still an MLS player. But looking forward, we have some new names. Malik Tillman. And I think the biggest thing is the exclusion of the center back, John Brooks, who has continuously been avoided by Greg Berhalter. Keenan, I'll go to you first on this one. Do you think John Brooks and Greg Berhalter, there's got to be something that we're not seeing because this man has been our best defender for the last decade and still cannot get a call into the national team. Yeah, I mean, I think we saw it all throughout World Cup qualifying that his omission was definitely not, I would say not a result of form. I mean, when you're looking at, I'm not going to rag on Aaron Long, but you look at a guy like Aaron Long and you compare him to John Brooks, I think, you know, I'm not going to go one way or the other saying, you know, Aaron Long doesn't deserve that spot because he's been phenomenal for the Red Bulls. And, you know, maybe he has a place in this team. I think, the omission of John Brooks emphasizes that he's not going to the World Cup, which I think is a crime because, as you said, James, he's been our best defender for countless years. And, yeah, there's this new wave of center backs. And, you know, you really think that Walker Zimmerman's going to be a staple. Maybe, you know, depending on how it shakes out, will Carter Vickers get a rep, uh, some reps in there as well? I, I just don't understand why John Brooks is omitted. I think, though, we can't sit here and – for me, at least, you know, looking at this men's national team going forward, obviously you want John Brooks in there, but yeah, I think I'm, I've already come to grips with the fact that he is not going to be a center back that we'll see Don the red, white, and blue in Qatar. And whatever that decision is, whatever Burhalter evaluates players on, that's not for me to say. I'm just more concerned. If my only thing is if he's selected this group, he better pray his butt off that no defenses, defensive lapses happen in this international break because then it's just going to spiral into the where's John Brooks debate 
So I'm, I'm comfortable with the players he selected. Obviously, you'd expect Brooks to be in that. If for nothing else, the only person on this roster that has played in a World Cup besides DeAndre Yedlin. So I think, you know, maybe that experience is lacking. But when I think at the bottom line, when you've been out of this side for so long, it would seem a little too much, uh, too little too late to bring him in now and maybe have him try and earn a spot in Qatar. Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree. Um, unfortunately, I don't really watch the uh, the men's national team, so I'm a bit uh, out of my depth on this one. Um, but I mean, obviously, it, it's like you said earlier, Keenan. Um, if he's not being picked, you know, th there has to be something going on uh, that, that we don't know about. And um, but but at the end of the day, none of us are are the coach uh, for the men's national team, and we just have to trust in the decision. Trust in the decision, we will, because. For as much scrutiny as Greg Berhalter gets, he's gotten the job done to this point for the U.S. Yeah, third place finish in World Cup qualifying isn't what we wanted, but it got us to the promised land once again, back where we belong. We are going to the World Cup. And for as much as the uh, USMNT Twitter tacticians, as they call themselves, like to argue about um, certain players being there and not being there, I just love to remind myself that I have a World Cup to watch. And it's going to be meaningful because 2018 was a disaster. Anyway, we have four matches slated for the USMNT. As I said, they have Morocco, Uruguay, Grenada, and El Salvador. One of their final windows before the World Cup. But we still have to decide who their opponents are going to be. We know for a fact that two of them are going to be Iran and England. We're still awaiting the winner of the Scotland and Ukraine uh, World Cup playoff and the winner of that that's matches tomorrow the winner of that plays Wales on Sunday this match is going to be in Scotland at Hampton Park and I know maybe we don't know a lot about the Scottish and Ukrainian national teams in terms of personnel or tactics but I think I want to start with Ukraine and I know this is a soccer show and not a geopolitical show but I think what would it mean for Ukraine if they made it back to the World Cup with the year that they've had I, I just can't imagine the scenes that would be. I, I, don't, I don't know if anybody is a little more closer to that issue than I am. But maybe I'm being a hopeless romantic rooting for Ukraine to come to this World Cup. I, I, I don't say I want to not watch the U.S. beat them because I'm a U.S. fan. But I think it would be a spectacular story if they made it to the World Cup. Yeah, I think, you know, everybody and their mother, whether they follow soccer or not, is hoping for Ukraine to make it. Um, which I think puts a little pressure on Scotland to play party pooper. But also I think it might add some fuel to the fire that Scotland is up against, I don't want to say the world in this match, but you know, you don't want to be the guys you start, nobody's certainly rooting for Scotland besides the Scottish. And I bet even the Scots <laughs> themselves as hard as they are might be like, ah, this might suck if we beat them just because of the year that they've had. But I think it's, you know, we talk about this U S international break and you know it's an international break for all countries a lot of tune-up games for the world's cup but i'm going to be tuned into this one and then the subsequent match versus wales because this this is a game that means something both for the ukraine team and their country but also for the scots trying to get back to the world's cup which they've been out on for the past they i don't when was their last performance Ooh, I, I know they were in 2010 i don't know if they made it 2014 um, but definitely aside, you know, if we want to draw the comparison to 
the U.S. aside with a ton of footballing history and that hasn't been able to punch their way through. So it's going to be a, you know, one that I think everyone should be tuned in for, especially, you know, from a U.S. perspective as well to see how these two teams play in matches that mean something. Um, but yeah, I think there's a ton of pressure on both the Ukrainian players as well as the Scottish players for two separate reasons, but it should be an absolute thriller. And, you know, for me, I don't see any of these, either of these teams beating Wales, to be honest. So in my mind, I've already got the U.S. lined up in a group with Iran, England, and then Wales filling in that fourth and final spot. But it should be an absolute, you know, belter of a match for all the separate reasons. But at the end of the day, it's competitive football and you're trying to, you know, get one step closer to the World Cup. And that's what you play for at the international level. Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously, you know, I uh, basically to uh, to repeat what you said, you know, I, I feel like everyone is supporting Ukraine um, uh, in the match. But I mean, you know, if you take a look at the uh, at who Scotland have, you know, they have Andy Robertson, uh, Billy Gilmore, uh, Scott McTominay, I think even Che Adams, if I'm not mistaken. So you know, it, it, it's going to be an interesting match. Um, but yeah, I, I I do think that Wales, um, you know, will will make it through just because. You know they're only playing one match, which is the one on Sunday. Uh, so you know, I, I'm not you know, obviously at this point. Uh, you know, at this point in the season, you know, some players are already fatigued. You know, they're done. So you know, I I, I do think that that will have a bit of a factor. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, um, if you're Greg Berhalter, if you're if if you're one of the players who who are going to the World Cup uh, in that group, you're gonna want to watch them to see you know how they perform, and uh, and and just get ready for them uh, when it happens in November. The World Cup is this year, which I, I can't stop saying. I'm just so unbelievably excited for it. Um, it's going to be fun watching some World Cup qualifiers again. Unfortunately, for the U.S., it's not this summer. It's in November. I'll wait patiently, that is. But we've got some other matches to look forward to. Tomorrow we have the Finalissimo, which I, uh, before the show started, called a glorified uh, Super Cup, a fake Super Cup between Italy, who unfortunately did not qualify for the World Cup, and Argentina, the winners of CONMEBOL versus the winners of UEFA. That one is also tomorrow at 2.45. Catch me not watching it because I will be watching a meaningful match between Ukraine and Scotland. Ukraine looking to get back to their first World Cup since 06. I think for Scotland, I think it's been 98. Is, was their yeah. last World Cup. They hadn't been there in a while. Wales, when was the last time they were in a World Cup? I couldn't tell you off the top of my head, unfortunately. We are low on time here, so let's shift really quickly to Major League Soccer. 1958, apparently. Wow, that's a, that's a long time. I'm not time. sure if that's right, but, but that's what Google's telling me. But, well, that's a long time. And, and for my money, Keenan, I agree. I do think they will be there as well over both the likes of Ukraine and Scotland. Gareth Bale. Um, gives me nightmares as a U.S. from a U.S. defense standpoint. Um, yeah, I'm just I, I'm counting down the days. But as for Major League hey, Soccer, remember it's Wales, Golf, Madrid in that Wales, order. Golf, Wales, Golf, Madrid in that order. I wish he was the Real Madrid bail of late because that would be a lot more less worrisome for the U.S. But we only have a few minutes here, so let's talk quickly about Major League Soccer. In the first place of the Eastern Conference, with a game in hand, is New York City FC. They're on 26 points on top of the table. They have won not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, but six of their last six matches coming into this one. And we've got a special treat just three weeks away 
from tomorrow. They travel to Red Bull Arena for the first time this season to take on my team, the team that I beat report, the team that I've grown up watching, the New York Red Bulls, on June 22nd at 8 p.m. in the Open Cup, but in the quarterfinals. The Red Bulls sitting in fourth, just three points off of first place with 23 in the Eastern Conference. Keenan, I know you've been at some New York City FC games this year. What have you liked about the team thus far? And obviously, they've been red hot. So you have, you have so much to choose from. But if you could pick one or two, just a few things that there are to be excited about for the reigning MLS Cup champions. Well, I think first you got to start with the defense because they haven't conceded in the MLS since April 24th in a shootout that they beat Toronto FC 5-4, to four, which was a game that I was at and picked up a red card late and conceded two late. So in my mind, that's 5-2. to two. Scoreline reads 5-4. to four. But since that, in the month of May, they had never, not allowed – a goal in the MLS, only allowed one goal to Rochester, New York in the Open Cup round of 32. Um, you obviously got to start there in terms of, you know, their defense top to bottom is shutting teams down. Um, and then secondly, I think you got to look at Tati Castellanos. You know, there's rumors of him making a move to West Ham this summer, but he has been phenomenal as he was all of last season, continues that great form. And, you know, you've got Tiago. Heber, Tyus Magno, and then obviously Max Morales in the and Santiago Rodriguez in the midfield. So they're just a very well put together team. You know, Tati Castellanos is doing Rabonas at midfield making passes. So that team is super fun to watch. James, I know we're almost out of time. I'll let you get the final word with the Red Bulls because Michael Hernandez always says he does not care about the MLS. Yeah, Michael, I'll spare you some major league soccer here. The one thing I'll say about the Red Bulls is because they're going to be home for that match is that they have finally gotten the monkey off their back. They finally got a home win. And even though it took seven home MLS matches to get that first win at Red Bull Arena, they still have been among the best in the East with their away record alone. They went six win, six, un, six away matches undefeated, excuse me, up until that point when they lost against Inter-Miami a couple weekends ago. But now that we have under a minute remaining, I think we're going to call it here, boys. It's been a fun podcast today. We talked a lot about how Liverpool fell short, which I had a lot of fun doing. I'm sure you guys didn't. We talked some international soccer, which I loved, and we ended it with our favorite Keenan, Major League Soccer, as it is. Another one to look forward to. We've got international soccer this week, and then in a couple weeks, the New York Derby, Red Bulls, NYCFC. But for Michael Hernandez and Keenan Troy, I'm James Gurley. We'll see you guys next time at FUBFC.